Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. Yes, the rules have changed. Good day wherever you are listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio, for Friday, September 28th, 2007. This week, episode 52 comes to you from Studio B in Coriopolis, PA. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe, and here with me in the studio is the cyber jockey, Zach Slotnick. Hey, Joe, great to be here. Hello, CJ. We got rid of the echo. We're sounding good. We're a couple minutes behind, but we're going to rock. And sitting in for my usual co-host, Cliff Slotnick, is... Right, Barb Jackson of Total Contents. Hello, Barb. Good morning, Joe. <laughs> Great to have you here, and perfect to have you in on uh, one show. We have a little bit of a glitch, but uh, <laughs> you guys are amazing behind the scenes, though. <laughs> in the words Thank of one of my friends, at least we're not launching satellites. Thank you, Zach. <laughs> All right. Well, many listeners will remember Barb and her husband Tim joined us on episode forty-one when we discussed content cleaning and uh, setting up a contents cleaning facility. Hopefully we'll get a chance today to ask a few more questions about contents while we are fortunate enough to have Barb on the show. When you get a chance, check out our website at www.iaqradio.com. If you want those IAQ console credits, you can email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And today's segments include the microband trivia quiz, Mr. Paul Salvo of Terigny Woodworks, IE Connections, What's News with Glenn Fellman. We've got a brief announcement from Dave Gett of Affiliated EH&S about what should be an interesting conference coming up in November. And if we have time, we'll do a sound off. But first, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry, Subscriptions and advertising information available at ieconnections.com. Dry Ease Products, providing equipment for drying water-damaged homes and buildings. Dry Ease is first in drying solutions at dri-eaz.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Oh, that voice is so much more soothing than Cliff, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for helping out there, Barb. All right, let's, uh, by the way, Cliff will be back with us next week. He's away for the week, but um, we'll certainly look forward to his return next week. In the meantime, Barb's going to ably take care of the co-host shot uh, position here. Our first guest today is Mr. Paul Salvo. 
And, uh, oh, by the way, I, I forgot. We've got to do the micro band trivia quiz. Let's take it over to Zach. We do have Zach. Good morning. Thanks, Joe. The Microband trivia question for Friday, September 28, 2007, concerns terminology used within the indoor air quality field. Joe, the envelope, please. Here's the question. Define and differentiate between the following two terms, sick building syndrome and building-related illness. Back to you, Joe. All right, Zach. How do how do we answer those questions? Let's review that one more time. I think we need to our trivia. I don't see any of our trivia experts. This might be a <laughs> shot for a newcomer. Yeah, it could be. Okay, you guys have a couple different choices to uh, answer the trivia question. The e the easiest is to go on our website, click on the trivia section, go go to this episode's trivia, and just. Put in your name and email and answer the question right there. IAQRadio.com. IAQRadio.com. That's right. Perfect. You can also email it to trivia at IAQRadio.com. You can also fax your answer to 412-262-7150. You can also call in your answer if you like. All right. Very good. Thank you, Zach. Uh, for our first guest today is Mr. Paul Salvo. He's with Terigny Woodworks. I'll do an intro, but I think... CJ's got a little music for him. As always, Joe. CJ. All right. Terigny Woodwork started in uh, 1987 by Carl Terigny. And uh, after working uh, with MacArthur and Petty, where he gained a love for the art of fine furniture making. Since that time, Carl has studied extensively on the design and construction of high-end architectural millwork and furniture. Um, they have been 20 years now and made themselves a reputation as accomplished wood turners, carvers, and millwrights. His unique background led him to be featured on This Old House with Steve Thomas and Norm Abrams. Now, we didn't bring in Carl. What we did is we brought in a recent addition to his management team, Mr. Paul Salvo, for numerous reasons. But Paul brings to the table an impressive background in engineering and contracting, having worked the past five years in the building sciences. HVAC, and also indoor air quality for Bailey Engineering. He's a certified indoor environmentalist, a certified mold remediator through the IAQ Council, and he successfully provided project management on numerous complex, high-end residential and commercial building projects. He's also an active member of the IAQA, and he helped our one of our former guests, Holly Bailey, in the research and publication of the IAQ industry-leading reference book, Fungal Contamination, a manual for investigation, remediation, and control. Paul has an undergraduate degree, a BA from Palm Beach Atlantic University, and he's a graduate student right now at the Masters of Business Administration School, Palm Beach Atlantic. 
One of his many goals at Terigny is to utilize his experience by serving remediation and restoration contractors, which is why we wanted to thought it would be so interesting to bring him on, that need credible guidance during the critical process of estimating high-end custom architectural millwork and serve as a liaison, liaison for the promotion and implementation of their green products into the scope of services offered. Another reason. So, Paul, welcome to the show. Are you on? You got Glenn here instead. Oh, I'm sorry. We we unmuted the wrong guy there. All right. We're just all – hello, Paul. Hey, Joe. How are you? All right, Paul. Thanks for joining us. Paul, you know, in the announcement I said it's time to bring some young guys onto the show here. We've had a bunch of old farts like myself on here for too long now. So welcome to the show. It's good to have you. Great to be here. You know, you have an interesting background. You spent four or five years out doing mold and uh, indoor environmental quality investigations, and now you're working with Terigny Woodworks. I guess my first question was, you know, why did you leave uh, the consulting business and, and start working with Terigny? Well, and I initially uh, left consulting to go teach for a little while. I was uh, teaching high school, and then uh, when my, my wife wanted to uh, stay home with the kids, uh, trying to do that on a teacher's salary is very, very difficult. So I got back involved in contracting, uh, working with a remediation contracting firm. Um, you know, I always joke around and say the mold was getting old. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, on the contracting end, no, no one wants a bill for, you know, materials that you've ripped out. Uh, a lot of times they get a, uh, just an empty uh, area of their home and uh, a hefty bill. On the architectural millwork side, I'm actually able to uh, provide the clients with uh, custom quality products that, uh, at least when they're paying for it, they've got something uh, tangible to show for it. Great. Barb? Paul, you were in the field doing inspections for mold contamination in Florida for quite a few years. What's your most memorable project? Well, <laughs> funny that you asked that. You know, <laughs> nastiest uh, places that you can imagine. I mean, every square inch of a of apartment complex covered in mold, but I'll tell you, the most memorable one for me was, you know, I'm a young guy, and I was doing some air sampling uh, in a home, and the woman who lived there is a very, very attractive woman, <laughs> and uh, I was trying not to be focused on that, and I was really just trying to, you know, take the samples, make sure I'm filling out the chain of custody correctly, and sure enough, as I'm leaving the place, my boss, uh, Scotty Brown at that time, was talking uh, with the woman. And I was saying bye and, you know, I had a kind of pep in my step there. And <laughs> I ran straight into the sliding glass window. <laughs> <laughs> it did. I was so embarrassed. So whatever we're talking about, I, uh, I tell him that. Sorry oh, about that. that. Probably sounded something like that, huh? <laughs> oh, yeah. It was bad. Uh, that's great, Paul. Thanks for sharing, Paul. Yes, really. It's it's always fun uh, to share those little moments on <laughs> out on the job sites. Well, listen, Paul. Before we get started with um, some specifics, let's get into a little bit of uh, vocabulary here. You know what? We um, I've got a couple different terms I want you to give me uh, some definition for, if you would. For instance, a French door. We always hear about a French door. What's the basic difference between a French door and a regular door? 
Well, you know, a French door is just kind of rectangular window panes extending the full length. Um, when you say regular door, uh, I guess like a flush door is, is a regular door that has no paneling or no glazing in it. Now, would a French door be a double door always, or could it be a single door? No, it could be a single door. It could be a pair of doors. Uh, it's just a matter of the the uh, configuration of the glazing. It's, like I said, it's a rectangular windows with panes, and, and virtually the same as a, a sash door. Uh, they're both interchangeable uh, lingo that, that are used in the industry. Okay. I, I did notice the sash door was in your uh, brochure, so that was the next question. You've kind of gotten that one. Let's move on to the next one. What are panel doors? Panel doors uh, just has a panel in it. Uh, it could be two panels, could be six panels, could be multiple panels. It's just a difference of having uh, those panelings and, and, and just having a regular, just plain old flush door. Uh, that's, that's, what, that's what you commonly see a panel door have. Okay, Paul, what are radius doors? Uh, radius doors, you know, just a circle uh, is using the term radius. Um, they could be bent or cut, um, usually just a door with an, an arched top, um, not to be confused with a radius panel where we were talking about paneling. Um, you know, that would be where an arched panel within the door, this would actually be a door with a circle top. Now, Paul, you are currently, oh, I, I left one out, louver doors are basically... Yeah, louver doors, you know, in our industry, we commonly see them. Uh, it allows air to bypass, just has louver uh, panels in it. You see them in your AC closet, a lot of time where the return is, uh, allows air to bypass. A lot of times they're in walk-in closets, just to allow some air uh, into those spaces that are commonly uh, closed off, pantries to have them. Seems like that would be a pretty good idea in, in a lot of the south, you know, the types of climate you're in. Sure, sure. Okay, more louver-type doors. Now, you're currently promoting, let me just read this, the ability to provide green doors and other green products. Let's start with the doors. Um, they are supposedly, and I, I'm, I, I'm sure it's true, uh, accepted by the USGBC, the United States Green Building Council. I don't want the acronym police to get me here. Lead, <laughs> okay. Too late. Lead program, leadership in energy and environmental design. Um, and you're a distributor of, I guess it's Coke uh, and Company Inc. Doors based out of Kansas. They've been doing this since 1989. It's a superior product, stands up well in South, you know, South Florida. Their green door is accepted by the lead for credits toward lead certification and is a sound solution for environmentally conscious clients. What is the, what makes these doors different from your standard door, Paul? Well, it's a, it's a cook door. That's, a, that's how you pronounce cook. it. Cook, okay. There. And, um, you know, the difference of the door offered by Cook is it has uh, a wheat core door, which we know is a renewable resource, so the lead programs out there um, you know, really like that because it's environmentally friendly. Uh, it's got low impact on natural resources. Um, from an IAQ standpoint, they're free of synthetic uh, formaldehyde resins, and there's laboratory certification that I've got posted uh, on that. Um, it's got a stable engineered core, like I had mentioned, the wheat core. It eliminates warping, cracking, and splitting down here in South Florida. You know, we have a lot of humidity, a lot of humidity issues just transporting those materials into an unconditioned to uh, conditioned climate. So that uh, really helps out with, with the door. 
um, ultraviolet uh, examination for glue residue removal. Um, they, they, you know, they go through a rigorous process to make sure that uh, what they're providing has a low uh, VOC uh, uh, water-based adhesive. So the door, um, you know, in comparison to other doors that don't go through that process, uh, that, that would be a, a major difference with the cook door. And, Paul, are these doors for interior use only, or do they have green exterior doors as well? Uh, the cook doors are for uh, interior use only. Um, as far as exterior doors, we can uh, customly fabricate them out of uh, Liptis uh, material for, for exterior applications. Oh, you can? Okay. And we'll go into that uh, material in just a moment here. All right. What? What made Terrigny decide to begin promoting these green products? Uh, and I'm an indoor environmental professional, and, you know, in this industry, I want to be proactive uh, in, with various industries out there uh, to better the environment for, you know, indoors and outdoors and for our clients. You know, we have a large uh, client base down here in South Florida, uh, a lot of people interested in, in bettering the environment, and it's a hot trend uh, right now in, in the industry. Well, let me go off for a minute off what we were talking about. Do you, do you guys catch a little flack because you do, you know, work with some of these specialty woods, um, you know, that are rare types of woods? And how do you handle that issue? You know, not, not, not typically. Um, a lot of people that are trying to implement green uh, LEED certified buildings, they're more, uh, they're, we're, we're all recognizing that, you know, we've been uh, destroying the environment for so long and, and we need to, move and to find solutions to uh, to find better materials, uh, sustainable forestry products that we can utilize uh, in, in the industry. Barb? Uh, Paul, I have a question. You, keep, you mentioned LEED a few times. Could you tell me what that stands for? I'm sorry. You were breaking up for a second there. Um, you've mentioned uh, LEED a couple of times. Could you tell me what yes. that means? Uh, that's the, the leadership... Uh, in energy and environmental design. I'll help you out here, Paul. I've got yeah. it in front there of me. There you go. I'm about to act. The acronym police didn't get me. <laughs> All right. Well, how, Thank you. I'm just curious how popular have these uh, new, you know, I, how long have you been offering the green products and how popular have they been? Um, they, they've been popular. I mean, it, it's coming out. Um, down in this area in particular, I know of one builder right now who is, is actually uh, building a green condo, and we kind of got set up a few months ago to start offering all of our products uh, in the various environmentally friendly materials to supply builders um, like this that are being proactive and are getting out there and, and trying to make a difference. I'm sure there are others, but those are the only ones that I, I really know of. Okay, let's talk a little bit about some other types of architectural finishes. And then what I have to do is I've got to get over to IE Connections, what's news, because I know Glenn can't stay around forever here. He's got a, another <laughs> meeting. But um, then we'll come back to you if that's okay, Paul. First, yeah. let's get some definitions. Um, you know, you'll hear these when you're doing investigations and when people are doing remediation. What are the crowns in, in, in a building? Crown, I guess crown molding? Yeah, your crown molding is typically found at the, the ceiling area. Um, you know, usually a nice decorative profile is on there uh, that ties in the wall to the, to the ceiling area. And how about casings? What are those? Casing, you're going to find that around uh, doors um, for 
remediation contractors around the windows. A lot of times you see that wood material around the window all rotted out or cracking or splitting and pulling from the drywall. And uh, you recognize there's there's some water intrusion there. So that's your door, windows, uh, around mirrors sometimes. You see that nice uh, casing around there. Okay. And what about bases? You just used the, I noticed in your uh, catalog, you just used the terminology bases. Yeah, you know, that, you know, in our industry, someone says, I need base. We know they, they need, you know, we would say baseboard, I guess. Uh, uh, and I uh, usually hear cove base when I'm out in the field. What's the, is there a yeah. difference between baseboard and cove basing? Well, cove is, is typically found in, in lower-end homes. Uh, it's just your common stock baseboard. You see it comes, you know, in, in a poplar, uh, and it's just a, a white just a kind of little crescent-looking cove, uh, cove base. I see. What about the, and oftentimes they refer to the kind of plastic-like stuff you see on the, you know, in, in commercial buildings as a cove base. Is that, is there another name we should be using for that that you're aware of? Um, I mean, as far as base material, I mean, you can, you can fabricate the material out of plastics or, or whatever they're, you're using out there. You can even use a, a concrete type of uh, material for, for base, but uh, the cove would probably be more of the profile that's being used uh, for, the, for the base. And Paul, what are rosettes? Rosettes, those are decorative blocks that you typically see on ceilings or on casings. Uh, they're just a, a little decorative uh, finish, kind of when you have a chandelier or something, you might see like a little decorative uh, rosette around it and, and that's what the, that is there all right last one paul plinths p-l-i-n-t-h-s yeah plinths plinth blocks you typically see them the little blocks uh below uh, an area of casing almost makes it look like a, a column or something but not not realistically it's just a little block that would go uh, and separate the the casing from say the baseboard on many applications Okay, good. We'll use those. And, of course, there's chair rails. I think pretty much everybody knows what a chair rail yeah. is, so we don't have to get a definition on that one. Um, now, before we get back and talk a little bit more about why it's important for investigators and remediators to be familiar with these components and talk a little bit about what they're made from, if you don't mind, Paul, we're going to switch over to the IE Connections What's News segment. We've got Glenn Fellman on the line here, and I think we have an intro for Glenn. Uh, CJ, what do you got? Uh, Okay, we're back to Lou Grant for you there today, Glenn. Sorry, we didn't. I thought find we were it. switching to WKRP. <laughs> we're, we're working on it, buddy. We've had a little technical difficulties here today. Hang in there with us. What's news, Mr. Fellman? We got a lot of great stuff coming up in our October newspaper, which will be hitting the streets in uh, roughly about a week or so. Um, front page news this this time is a story which has been gaining ground, a lot of attention. Bed bugs. Ooh, uh, everybody, no one likes to hear about bed bugs. We eliminated bed bugs from our society around the 1940s and 1950s through a, a, a little product called DDT, 
it made our lives a lot easier because we didn't have bed bugs, but unfortunately it wiped out the bald eagles and a bunch of other species of birds. So they made DDT illegal, and over the last uh, couple of decades, bed bugs have been making a comeback, and they've made their way to the shores of the United States via international air travel and uh, immigrants and other types of uh, people coming in from places where uh, uh, they have real bad infestations, and now our big cities like New York and Washington are having huge problems. Yeah, well, that's disgusting. <laughs> well, you know, it is. But the one thing I do want to stress here is that having bed bugs is, does not equate with bad hygiene. People who have immaculate houses, who are great housekeepers, who do all the right things, can still get a bed bug infestation. All it takes is one uh, person who travels to a hotel and brings a few home in their luggage, and boom, you've got them. And I don't care how clean you keep your house. Getting rid of them is a nightmare. Um, well, and just be, yes. I have a quick question. Um, are these things visible, or are they like small like a dust mite? Have they, I are, they are visible to the naked eye. However, oh. they're, trans, they're translucent. They're, they're, but when they um, attach to a human host, which is what they feed on, <laughs> they fill with blood. And then they become sort of a maroon color, and they are visible with the naked eye. They're about the size of maybe a, a small ladybug. So we wouldn't know they're present unless they're attached to us. Well, not only that, but you may not know that you have them unless you're allergic to them. I have um, a, a subject that we've interviewed for our article, a family of five, and their middle son was waking up or, or was developing these, these red welts. They thought it was a food allergy. They took them to an allergist. Uh, they came up with nothing. And then suddenly, one day, they noticed this little bug. And then pretty soon they started inspecting their house and they found them everywhere. Turns out the bugs were in every room, but only one of the family was reacting um, to the bites. The other ones uh, were getting tiny red marks that they weren't noticing. So, And this same family, which we've profiled in our story, has been fighting this for over uh, two and a half months. And it's, um, it's, a real, it's a real nightmare. But just to give you an idea, we talked to the National Pest Management Association. Their members have reported... 50 times more frequent calls in the last three years than they have previously. 50. That's a huge increase. Ow. Think about it. That's a big, it's a big, uh, you know, big organization. Um, the largest percentage occurred in the Northeast where 72.9% um, of pest control companies reported that they are offering a bed bug control service. That's a huge increase over just a few years ago. Um, the, um, the number of bed bug calls between 2000 and 2005 have increased 71%, and a lot of companies say they're getting 10 to 50 calls a week or more. So it's a, it's an indoor environmental subject that you, you, you may not have heard a lot about. I think you're going to be hearing a lot more about it. It's just starting to make national news headlines, and here's the reason why, is that um, where these things are. Of the calls that the uh, Pest, Assist, uh, Pest Control Association was getting, the most frequent sources were hotels. Uh, hotels, motels were 37% of the calls, apartments were 23%, and single-family dwellings were about 21%. And then the others were college dormitories and, and things like that. So these, these things are coming out in the hotel industry. The hotel industry will keep it very quiet. They'll do everything they can to prevent people from knowing that bed bugs are in their properties. But um, the more people who bring them home and suffer these problems, you're just going to keep hearing about it. All right. Let me give a quick tech tip while you're at it. I had a pesticide uh, expert in one of my classes. If you go to a hotel and you're a little concerned about the bed bugs, he told me take a Kleenex. Don't even put your uh, suitcase on the floor. Take a Kleenex. Go to the 
bed board that's mounted on the wall take that kleenex and wipe underneath the bottom of that bed board look for any of these you know translucent little bugs or in some cases they will be darker as you mentioned glenn and he also said that you should wipe right underneath the um stand next to the bed uh, a lot of people try and look for them in the bed etc but he said they'll typically be fine right in those two areas if they're in the hotel room so yeah the other place let me add to that is in the seams of the mattress where that you know if you, if you take the all the covering off the mattress there's the seams in the corner just pull the pull that seam apart a little bit and uh, they dig right into there yes sir so some good tech tips what else do we have coming up in october holy cow almost october already i know can you believe it well uh we've got a follow-up story to our uh front page piece last month about the air traffic controllers they've now sued the faa and seven other parties because of the mold this is the air traffic controllers in the detroit detroit metro airport um and by the way, just a little comment. We had several people who saw the photograph of our last issue, which showed an air traffic control tower with a bucket sitting next to one of the controller's desks. A lot of people thought we photoshopped that bucket in there. That is not a photoshopped <laughs> <Okay. picture. laughs> That is a real bucket collecting water leaking through the roof of an air traffic control tower. Just wanted to get that off my chest. I'm glad you mentioned uh, air traffic control because, you know, we were having trouble getting the show started today, and we were glad we weren't in control of an air traffic tower today. <laughs> Oh, At least we're not launching other, satellites. <laughs> okay. A couple other things we're covering real quick next month. Uh, popcorn lung. Have you heard of this stuff? Oh, yeah. This, yeah. We, uh, we, got, we got a little story on popcorn lung. This is a, a condition. Uh, no, people are not growing popcorn in their lungs, but if you consume a large amount of microwave popcorn or if you're in a place where a lot of it is made, uh, you can develop an illness related to the chemicals used to get you that buttery smell. So we've, uh, we've got a, an article on that. And then we've got another little piece that I found, found interesting, which is a study by Brown University um, that has found a link between moldy homes and depression. Now, that doesn't surprise me. <laughs> if I had a moldy home, I'd be pretty depressed, too. But uh, it's in there. We've got another piece. Uh, John Miller wrote a great piece talking about the laser printers, a follow-up to that Australian study from earlier this summer. But this time, we've got a list of tested, uh, of, uh, tested laser printers, primarily HP models, but boy, were there a lot of them that are high emitters. Uh, as a matter of fact, we found a couple right here in our own office at Indoor Environment Communications. Okay. So we probably have a few, too. <laughs> uh, and then the last one I want to tell you about, I mean, I can tell you some more, but one more I want to tell you about is the U.S. House of Representatives has an upholstery shop, and they take care of all the upholstery on Capitol Hill and the Senate chambers and the House chambers and so forth. They had to move seven workers out of there because water was literally dripping down the walls and pooling on the floor, and it had been happening for months and months. Uh, letters were written to the Capitol, the architect, begging for some help and relief, and after getting you know, just poor answers for, for almost a year, uh, the fellow who was in charge of that shop took a very bold move. He moved his employees out, and he sent a letter to the Capitol, the architect, with copies to Nancy Pelosi and Henry Waxman and a bunch of other congressmen. I was looking for this to show up on the Today Show and CNN. Uh, the only thing that picked it up was the Hill newspaper. But, you know, when you combine that with the asbestos under the Capitol and, uh, and a lot of the other indoor quality problems that have been coming up in Washington, D.C., it's really starting to paint an ugly picture for how our federal government protects its employees. And that plus the Walter Reed story that just came out, you would think they would have jumped all over it, but... You'd, you'd think. Last one I'll hit you with is uh, uh, the IICRC, uh, the appeals uh, that they had uh, uh, from uh, Lisa Larkin and Carl's Grimes, Carl Grimes have been resolved. They've given, rendered final decisions on those appeals, 
and the S520 document went out for another round of peer review. If you go to uh, ANSI.org, you can find your way into what's called standards actions, and it gives you instructions on how to obtain uh, a copy of that standard, which has got probably another, oh, I guess, three or four weeks left in the comment period. Well, thank you, Glenn. That's another issue we've been keeping a close eye on. It should be interesting to see what happens from here. I guess um, at this point, it's settled as far as appeals to the uh, S520 or the IICRC, and and it's up to the uh, appellants, I guess, if they want to decide to take it to the next level, which would be going to ANSI. Is that accurate? That's my understanding. ANSI won't take an appeal based on the technical content of a, of a document, but they will take an appeal based on the procedures by which the document was developed. Now, I know that with respect to some of the appeal issues that came up, having a second peer review resolved the issues in some cases. I don't know whether it will resolve all of the procedural issues which uh, 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 Grimes and Larkin had, but Hopefully it will, uh, and if not, then I suppose the matter will be decided by decision-makers at ANSI. We shall uh, continue to follow that along with our friends at IE Connections. Thanks again for joining us, Glenn. I know you've got another uh, meeting My to pleasure, go to. Can I, can I have 10 seconds for a shameless plug? Absolutely. We are just about uh, two weeks away from the IAQA annual meeting and exposition, the 10th annual meeting. Uh, it is looking fantastic. The hotels, room block we had is completely filled. Uh, our attendance expectations have been met. Our exhibit hall has got, I think, two or three spots open out of about 130. It's going to be a great show. And if someone was interested or on the fence about attending, it's not too late. You can go to iaqa.org, get all the information there. You can still get hotel rooms, and we'd love to see you there. You're going to pay for my plane flight? Oh, <laughs> I don't know. Inside joke. Sorry, Glenn. Had to hit you with that one. Thanks, buddy. I really appreciate it. I will be there. I look forward to seeing you there. Are you I doing should... a show? Are we doing an IAQ radio show? You know, we, we haven't. Are we there on Friday? Uh, no, we're not there I think we leave on Friday. So what I'll probably do is get a few interviews while I'm there. And uh, then we'll, we have Lou Harriman on right before that. In fact, we've got some great shows coming up. We've got Bob Brandis coming up next week. Then we've got Lou Harriman. And right after the conference, I'm not positive yet, but I'm hoping to get uh, Dr. E. Valerie, one of the top toxicologists in the country, on. And I also got a commitment from the past president of the Maine Indoor Air Quality Council. So we've got some great things coming up. Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I'll be glad to come on the show after the conference and give a wrap-up for people. So, We'd appreciate Joe, have it. a great show today. I'm sorry I can't stick with you the whole time. Uh, have a great show, and I'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Thanks, Glenn. Take care. All right, let's go back to our first guest. Mr. Paul, are you around? Mr. Salvo? I am around, and I think I've been itching ever. Uh, <laughs> I'm like, oh. oh. Those are not a good thing. It takes uh, multiple. You've got to really be diligent to um, get rid of them, and people get very frustrated quickly. It takes a lot of times numerous applications of uh basically a uh, a biocide to to get rid of them they're very difficult and uh so we'll see what happens i know that when cliff gets back he'll want to uh comment on the uh, ddt killing the bald eagles and all that but we'll save that for another show anyhow <laughs> let's move on um we were talking about different types of architectural finishes and and you know why are these things so important for people to understand when they're going in and doing investigations and remediation 
Um, I, I think, I mean, as, a, as an investigator, you know, a lot of times our reports can be very vague. And, uh, you know, we call for things to be discarded uh, without really looking at what's involved in the entire process. Uh, for example, if a wall in, say, a high-end uh, residential home had to be removed and it had, you know, that base and that casing and those uh, plinth blocks and, uh, and we had to remove that wall and discard of those materials because a consultant said so, well, what kind of financial ramifications does that have? And not to say that that dictates what should and should not be removed or treated, but it's definitely something I want to be aware of on the front end to explain to the homeowner who is probably going to be the one to incur that, that bill. You know, Paul, but let me follow up on that because I think investigators have – I've seen some investigation technique that gives me the shivers. I, you know, I can imagine somebody oh. going in with a crowbar and starting to yank on a uh, crown mold and, you know, or, or a, a base and uh, it's, you know, mahogany, I don't know, cherry or whatever. Um, what kind of, you know, what kind of damage can that cause? What kind of – what kind of numbers are we looking at here? <laughs> Oh, definitely. I mean, you know, the common word, uh, destructive evaluation, uh, you know, which consists of sometimes a, a consultant going out there and then taking a, a razor knife and moving back some baseboard with a screwdriver or a, or a, a crowbar. And, you know, who on that end is going to pay to replace that material? I mean, what if that was a... Uh, stain grade, genuine Honduran mahogany uh, base that they now damage that has to be replaced. I mean, that could be a custom profile, which, you know, going backwards, the uh, people that created the knife, is that knife available? Uh, the materials to run genuine mahogany is expensive, to install it, to finish it. Uh, there are many, many aspects. Uh, that go into that and it's not you know it's simple to do the destructive evaluation but the the repairs of this material could be in in the thousands paul you you mentioned the mahogany being one of those expensive woods what are some other um higher end um woods that we would expect to see at nice ho nicer homes um i mean the teak is is very expensive maple is expensive and i would say the most expensive part not including the labor, is some of these finishes that, that we see on, on materials. I mean, uh, some of the homes that I've been in on Jupiter Island and in Palm Beach Island are 30 to $50 million homes. So you're always apprehensive uh, on, on wondering, you know, what type of material is this, and, and should I, at this point, what's the best methodology to investigate? And, you know, at the firm I worked for, Bailey Engineering, we would utilize those techniques with bore scopes and, and uh, other types of, uh, you know, thermal imaging and things of that nature. So you would try to avoid m removing these components at all until they had to be removed? Well, I mean, depending on, you know, obviously if, uh, if they need to be removed, they need to go. Um, regardless of the, the cost, as far as getting a, on the investigation side, um, you know, knowing how to uh, examine those materials while they're still in place 
you know, you, you can utilize different equipment rather than just going in and saying uh, with a crowbar, nope, you know, there's nothing behind that baseboard. Well, that's, that's a good news and it's bad news because you just broke that baseboard too. So, uh, but then on the remediation end where you want to know what these materials are is to, you know, properly estimate your costs. You know, you look at this consultant's report and he's telling you the drywall needs to go. He's not really taking into consideration all the other materials. And if he is, sometimes it's very vague. As well as, I mean, programs are great, such as uh, Xactimate or some of these other uh, estimating programs. However, a lot of times they're, they're pretty vague. And when you have custom materials, especially in what we do in the high-end homes, uh, some of those materials aren't specified on, on some of these programs. So you, you can have a remediation contractor bidding uh, to replace these materials and not really having a clear depiction of what it's going to cost them to uh, manufacture the material, to have it installed and finished. Uh, after a remediation project has, has been uh, completed. Now, Glenn, um, would you would you recommend relying on the property owner say, telling you what type of wood it is? Um, it wouldn't be so much the property owner. I'm I'm figuring the the general contractor who is actually going to be doing the removal and replacement of the material. He needs to have a firm grasp on. Uh, the architectural millwork, and those things can sometimes be obtained from the original uh, architectural drawings or interior design drawings. Okay, Paul. Now, my understanding is that, you know, these finishes can anyth be anything from white pine and, and poplar on up, and, and I assume you do quite a few in, in poplar. Why is poplar such a popular type of wood for these types of uh, finishes? Um, it's a, you know, it's a great wood. It goes through the molders relatively easy, and it's a paintable uh, finish. So uh, a home that, you know, is, is still custom and they have a custom profile, yet they're not really to move up to a, a stain-grade material, um, which is a lot more expensive for the materials. It's more expensive for the finish. Uh, poplar is a, is a great choice for... Uh, custom moldings and just standard moldings that are paintable surface. Glenn, what are river-recovered materials, and how are they recovered? Uh, river-recovered materials, apparently, from what I've learned, in the old days, the lumberjacks would ride uh, uh, the logs down the river uh, to the sawmills. And, you know, there's roughly, you know, various statistics, but between 5 and 15% and of these, uh, these timbers would sink down. So what we do is we purchase this wood from people that go, and they recover this wood, they kiln dry it, and uh, they sell it to people like us who then mill it into custom materials for people. big one down here is uh, the, the old-growth uh, pecky cypress material uh, that we get in stock and, and supply in many of these uh, uh, Addison Meisner homes down here that have that uh, type of uh, uh, finish to them. I think CJ had a comment on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 actually funny that you asked that, Barb, because um, I once went I once went went diving with uh, someone who who works as a commercial diver to uh, to do that to recover the, the those kinds of woods, and he he said it's a pretty involved uh, 
process from, from, from his end requires a lot of specialized uh, diving equipment and procedures and training. Interesting. It's a, it is a, it's a expensive process, and that's why when someone says, I want pecky cypress, let's say uh, tongue and groove uh, ceilings, we would ask them, you know, do they want old growth or new growth? The new growth, um, you know, they can expect to pay anywhere between, uh, you know, three and four to five dollars a lineal foot, whereas in the old growth, you're, you're looking at triple the costs because of the rigorous process that has to go through and the waste factors that are involved in, in recovering uh, uh, this material into, into usable product. Okay. Now, I want to get into one more section here. I also have uh, an announcement from a, another guest that I want to get to in just a moment, but let's quickly go into some other green products or different uh, ways that green products are categorized, essentially. Uh, Terigny Woodworks utilizes the Forest Stewardship Council, don't get me on the police on that one, FSC, which are recognized by the U.S. Green Building Council's LED program, which we just uh, defined, as well as Liptus Forestry Products, which are nationally recognized to custom create architectural millwork for clients that are proactive about bettering our environment both domestically and internationally. Liptus hardwood products are available in a variety of grades of lumber, plywood, and veneer, and are used for architectural millwork. Now, Liptus, eucalyptus trees are grown on plantations certified to Brazil's National Sustainable Forestry Standard. And they've got an acronym, of course, for everything, SURFLOR, and I'm not sure exactly what that is, but maybe Paul knows. And it has been mutually recognized by the program for the endorsement of forest certification. Wow, Paul, what is all that about? Well, uh, you know, internationally, like I said, the, 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 the SURFLOR uh, certification is out there uh, that recognizes certain forests that are uh, have gone through uh, sustainable forestry uh, standards. And then we have in the U.S., we've got the, the U.S. Uh, Green Building Council's uh, LEED certification, who then recognizes the Forest Stewardship Council, the FSC, which we're uh, getting involved in more and more. Um, the, the FSC is the, the Forest Stewardship Council, um, I'm new to it as far as the history and, and logistical information, um, but I do know that they uh, started this uh, sort of uh, forestry standard worldwide that sets forth different principles, criteria, standards uh, for uh, environmental concerns. Um, they, they're the world's uh, strongest system for guiding forest management towards sustainable outcomes. Um, the FSC uh, system includes stakeholders with diverse array of perspectives on what represents a well-managed, sustainable forest. Um, and it's, I believe, uh, in over 57 countries around the world. So they're, they're sort of the leaders in stamping uh, forestry that, that is, is managed properly, you know, the same way in, in our industry, indoor quality industry. There's various programs, but we know the leaders, you know, there, there, there's, there are certain industry leaders that, that rise above the rest. So the, the FSC is, is one of those, and we're starting to get involved in their uh, certifying process. They have a chain of custody process that basically tracks 
the, the trees used um, from these sustainable forests down to the, the end user. Um, so it's a it's pretty, pretty rigorous process. Hey, Paul, what kind of cost difference can consumers ex- expect to pay for using the FSC certified wood? Unfortunately, they're, they're going to look at a, maybe close to 20 to 35% increase and uh, most likely double the lead times because a lot of this wood isn't readily available. Unfortunately, from, from what I've heard is the, the U.S. Green Building Council, while beneficial, kind of started on the, the, the wrong end. Um, a lot of the uh, builders you know, have the, the certifications and are trying to follow these guidelines. However, on the milling aspects and the sawmills, um, we're the ones that receive this material first. So the material has to change through a lot of hands, and unfortunately, that'll boost the cost up because everyone kind of wants to make a little piece of that, uh, of, of that product. So uh, hopefully they'll, they'll take measures in so we can readily available have these materials uh, to create profiles for, for our, our clients. Paul, the same thing with uh, the Liptus eucalyptus versus non-Liptus eucalyptus. Is, I don't know, is there such a thing, and what would the price difference be if there is? Uh, no, that's a, yeah, as soon as you ask that, you know, Liptus is just a, another type of wood that, uh, again, is, is environmentally friendly. Um, as far as the sustainable forestry, where, you know, as far as costs, it really doesn't matter. It all depends on your application. You can have uh, liptus that is less expensive than, say, uh, genuine Honduran mahogany, which is very difficult to get, um, but then cheaper than poplar. So it all depends on, on how available the wood is and, uh, you know, what type of profile that you're doing. And the costs uh, will vary uh, depending on that. So what I'm gathering here, Paul, is the bottom line is both for investigators and remediators to do your homework up front when you're working in these higher-end homes and, and any type of home that has these types of finishes and to make sure that you're aware of the fact that if you damage or um, ask somebody to remove and replace a, you know, architectural finish um, to make sure you're aware of what it's going to take or even if you can replace that material um, at a reasonable cost. Is that accurate to summarize things in that way? I would, I would summarize it that way. I always tell our clients to call me on the front end uh, or someone credible in their area that can help them because you got to make sure you have the ability to replace and or match the material that you're about to just remove. You know, again, like we said, removing that one area of material could tie in the whole rest of the home. So uh, if you couldn't replace or match the existing material profile or finish, that might throw the whole room off, which can then result in a lot of costs because that definitely wasn't anticipated on the front end when looking at the remediation scope. So now you've got to replace or remove and replace all of it. Which now you've got a restoration project on your hands, and that's what I always tell people. Once the remediation is complete, it now turns into your typical uh, restoration and renovation project, and, you know, those, those principles uh, need to apply in, in that facet. So. Well, I, I think a lot of what you said applies to both, you know, water damage restoration, fire restoration, um, mold remediation. So I'm really pleased that you were on. 
And before you go, I have one last question. How has your opinion of the IEQ industry changed since you've changed careers here? Um, you know, I, I had the privilege for working for one of the industry's top engineering firm as a consultant. And, um, you know, from this end, knowing the amount of time, uh, energy, and resources that go into supplying these high-end homes with these materials, I'd say as if I was to go back and be a consultant, I'd be less, more, more hesitant, I think, to do uh, recommend something just be removed and discarded. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. this type of material, can carved materials, can can be astronomical, and uh, so I would definitely want to uh, be more proactive and um, really sit down with the homeowner. This way, they have a, a full understanding of what the cost can be, and make sure they're prepared for that. A lot of times, uh, you know, and, and you see this a lot with firms that aren't credible is they have a mold issue or they don't even know if they have one and it just you know the whole uh, mountain out of a molehill problem and, and you know we, we definitely want to be responsible uh, when, when dealing with homes whether high-end or, or a, a regular home like mine uh, <laughs> but um, you know we just want to be conscious and make sure that we're, we're, we're looking at every aspect and uh, I think that's the only thing I would say is not to be as vague on reports and, and removal. Really get those plans out and take a good look at, at, at how we're going to uh, combat the situation at hand and uh, make sure that the homeowner recognizes what is in, in, in this whole process entails. All right. Well, thanks again for joining us, Paul. We've got, uh, we're going to run a little bit over today. We've got one more quick announcement and guest to uh, talk to. So if you want to hang in there with us, we'd appreciate it. And uh, again, thanks for joining us, and we'll talk to you in a moment. Let's move over to Mr. Dave Get of Affiliated EHS. I want to talk to Dave about the Crossroads IAQ-IEQ conference. Dave, are you on the line? I'm right here. All right, Dave. Well, it took us a while. We had some technical difficulties, and things ran a little over today, but I certainly wanted to make sure we got to you. What was the uh, you know what was the impetus behind getting the Crossroads IAQ IEQ conference uh, going in New Jersey and tell us a little bit about it if you would. I sure will, and I want to uh, thank you for the opportunity. And I I don't care you ran over all your speakers were uh, really worthwhile, Glenn Feldman and uh, Paul Sabo. Thank you. And uh, people giving the intro, and it, uh, uh, I do want to. Uh, uh, say that uh, one of our speakers, our lead speaker, keynote speaker, would, would be uh, a Mr. Uh, I think, is it Hughes, is it? That would be it. Radio Joe will uh, work. Joe Hughes, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and that's right. I fancy that. Okay. And, uh, and I'm sure Joe, Joe's going to do the same kind of good job that he's doing here with the, with the radio program. Well, getting to your question, um, the National Alliance of Environmental Specialists, which is a, a specialized insurance company with a large group, uh, the captive group, they call it, very large brokerage and uh, primary provider insurance company uh, in the United States, and myself. Uh, now, Dave, uh, Dave Quinn uh, and, and, my, and myself are equal partners in the venture, uh, even though we partners, uh, I won't call it a partnership, but this particular venture. And it's going to be a situation where 
see his company and my 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 living is going to I think be exposed and everything else that's going on. So we put together a uh, a group. Uh, IAQ has been done, but we're doing and IEQ has also been done to a lesser degree. But we decided to put together program that would be more directed at application rather than theory. And most of it, and I think in most cases, we have a number of speakers. Uh, we have a very long day, 10-hour ten, ten, uh, ten, uh, day, 9 to 7, which is more typical than most of, the, uh, most of the shows you go to. And all of them have something specific to say about important things. I'll cover, if I could, uh, uh, just the, the crossroads is use the name of the Crossroads Sheraton in uh, in Mawa, New Jersey, which is right on the New York State line. Okay, and what's okay. the date on the on the conference? Okay, it's November eighth, oh seven, nine a.m. to seven p.m. at the Sheraton Hotel and Conference Center in Mawa, New Jersey. Now, the Crossroads is an apt name because you have the major arteries like uh, Interstate two eighty seven. Uh, Interstate 95, just across the street in, in New York State. Uh, route 17, which goes a, a multi-state route. And there's a lot of traffic, a lot of people can access it. And it's a gorgeous facility. We could have gone cheaper as far as renting it goes, but we felt that it would give the wider, uh, wider expanse of people to come. We have sent out mailers, uh, four to 5,000 mailers that are going into five states, including uh, uh, Central and Western Connecticut, New York State, uh, up to as far as Albany and beyond, uh, Colony, Eastern Pennsylvania. Okay, probably as far as you go, Joe, Somerset. Yes, sir. Uh, Somerset, Central City. And also Delaware and, of course, Jersey. Let's not forget that. Okay. Let's not forget uh, the Jersey. The entire state's going to get coverage. Great. And you're looking at doing indoor air quality, indoor environmental quality. Uh, I see a segment here on sick building and building-related illness, and also a, a green building section. There is one, yes, and we have. Uh, we're fortunate. I'll, I'll, bri- I'll go briefly with them now. We're having additions added all the time. I should give uh, the folks out there our website. Let's do that, and then what we could do is why don't we bring you back um, on a later show in a week or two, and, and we'll get a little more detail. Okay, am I run, are you running out of time, Jeff? We're running a little low, but if you got if you want to do a quick rundown, that would be fine. Okay, uh, first of all, all right. Uh, first of all, we'll do. Um, uh, uh, we'll do. Uh, let's see. First of all, I'll give you the rundown on the on the topic. Okay. Uh, it's a broad topic of uh, SBS and BRI. Okay. Homeland Security with Barry Reisman from Hillman. Uh, he's very strong. I'll have a part of that also. Great. Legionella infestations from the uh, one of the major experts here in the New York metropolitan area, Veronica Kiro and Gary Miller of Omega Environmental. They're co- they are uh, co-principals. They are both uh, doing, done a lot of work in the Pentagon and other places that are very, very sensitive. Okay, and I, we'll go in later to that later on. Great. Vapor intrusion, we know that's coming up. It's uh, it's been a uh, uh, it's been a while coming, and it's and it may be overdone according to some people. Uh, it's really a, na- a national and a state jurisdictional target. Uh, if people don't know how expensive and it's going to be, and people really don't know if it's going to kill deals. That's Closing been a big big issue in uh, New Jersey, hasn't it? 
It's a big issue. Well, the Jersey at the DEP always has big issues. Okay. That's the clarion cry, big issue. Okay. And expensive issues. Uh, they are doing with with, with uh, daycare centers. There was an unfortunate incident where some mercury vapors were coming up from a daycare center from somebody that did radium watches or something years back mm. on that same property. So now they're putting a massive uh, uh, spec together. You can't be uh you can't uh have a daycare center it's it's going to be 400 yards or something from from a from a dry cleaner things of this type i see uh we're not going to cover that because it it hasn't gone in in the full comments and it's going to be a a lot of haggling over what's going to come from the various agencies so uh, that's going to be a that specific item is going to be eliminated vapor intrusion will be covered quite well by uh, pmk group Okay. A major player here in Jersey. Great. Green buildings, uh, we are, we have covered also. Uh, nanotechnology and the handling of nan- nanotechnology. We have three strong speakers at this point and more coming. Uh, Bob Adams from Environ, uh, Dr. Bob Have from uh, New Jersey Rep Masters on protectants uh, from Biological, and another fellow that the, I haven't landed yet, so I'll, I'll, I'll defer his name at, uh, on. Uh, the higher end heap of filtration units being being uh, replaced by nano. Hmm. Okay. Laboratories and uh, going along IAQ and IEQ ramifications. I have another one with a close friend of mine from high school, uh, Mr. Robert Dupont from Rubber Fib uh, Technologies, who has uh, the only one of a he has a number of product lines, but he uh, deals with pharmaceuticals. And he has a particular line of goods that goes in. It's essentially a uh, a tri-clamp gasket, which is, which is not uh, anything new. But they have a micro a microbiological uh, uh, kill effects when they when they clean when they break their lines down. They expose the protein. Somebody sneezing, bacteria, and this might uh, that poisons that poisons poisons the soup, so to speak. And uh, these these. Gasket-like uh, uh, appliances are actually doing the uh, biological destruction and the protein destruction while they while they circulate. Okay, okay that oh, you'll find more about later. Okay. I hear you're quiet on that one. I, I, <laughs> I'm just we're just hanging in there. I I know you had a good strong lineup there. All right. Uh, uh, legal hazards roll. I'll, I'll make this quick. I know you're. Oh, uh, you're okay. You got a legal back. legal section as well. Yeah, legal section. The role of liability insurance. Uh, business administrator, Mr. Bob West, and uh, from Warre West, will give a, a a as far as the insurance coverage and the handling of risk assignment. Essentially, will be doing something on the on the the Deutsche Deutsche Bank building. This this horror in New York. Mm-hmm. That everybody's knowing about, all right? Okay. And also uh, radiation. Also, and I have a couple of interesting new parties on that that would fit in the Homeland Security track that we have. Interesting, interesting. Okay, well, Dave. So that I, sounds I, like I, you got a great lineup coming up, and uh, I look look forward to being there on November eighth with you at the uh, Crossroads IAQ conference, IAQ IEQ conference. And you know, thanks for joining us here on uh, IAQ Radio, and we'll. Get updates from time to time between now and the conference. How's that sound? Uh, that sounds good. Uh, could I could just run the website? Sure, uh, please do. Quick. I'm sorry. Yeah, we, that's probably the most important thing we forgot. I forgot. Uh, it's uh, www. and I'll spell it 
N-A-E-S-I-P.com. You'll go to that, and you'll see a picture of the hotel. It's actually the uh, it's the uh, homepage for NASIP LLC. Uh, you hit that, and then you'll have everything else we're talking about now. N-A-E-S-I-T. P, P as P, Peter. as in Peter. Okay, I'm glad I repeated it. Very good, Dave. .com, and that's uh, very briefly the National Alliance of Environmental Specialists. Excellent, excellent. Well, thanks for joining us, Dave. We appreciate having you here on IAQ Radio and look forward to hearing from you again. Uh, you, do you want me back next week, you're saying? We'll be back in touch real soon. Okay. Thanks a lot, Dave. Thanks, good, thanks. All right. CJ, I believe that's a wrap for another week here on IAQ Radio. This is Radio Joe saying thanks to our guests today. We had Mr. Paul Salvo. We had Dave Gett. We, of course, had Gladen Fellman with IE Connections What's News. I certainly want to thank our, our fill-in co-host, surprise co-host, Barb Jackson, for uh, joining us here today. But most importantly, I want to thank our loyal group of growing, uh, growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back and join us next Friday at noon for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. 